So we are continuing our series on the Sermon on the Mount this afternoon. And we have been exploring, haven't we, this collection of Jesus' teaching that where he in, invites us to find out what it looks like to follow him, what it looks like uh, to live in God's kingdom and to live a life of righteousness. And he's emphasized again and again that to live in this kind of way, to live this kind of life, it's going to require more than an outward reformation of our behavior. It's about an inner transformation that's going on. That is what he's talking about throughout this. So his message is about a transformation of our hearts. And that's, that was the first movement of our series where we, where we asked the question, how is our hearts? And then he moves on to thinking about a transformation of our motivation which is where we're at, at the moment as we ask ourselves, what's driving us? And his, his message is about a transformation of our, of our choices and of our values. And that will be what we start next week as we ask the question, who are we choosing? And we've talked about in this series so far about how this, this inner transformation, which then shapes outward behavior, isn't a, life, uh, a lifestyle that we're saved by. It's not about our actions saving us. It is a lifestyle that we are we are saved for. Jesus made this possible for us. And before we read the next section, um, which I find a challenging bit of teaching from Jesus, I'd want to precursor it with this, is that Jesus is exposing deep things inside of his followers as he delivers this teaching. And it puts us in a position where I'm not, I'm not sure that as we read it today that we should ever fully feel truly comfortable as he reads his words like they should be provoking us they should be challenging us they should be causing us to examine ourselves um and his words today do that for me um and i i wonder if they will for you as well so before we dive in can we can we pray again can we can we prepare our hearts for what jesus is going to be saying to us this afternoon maybe you could put your your hand on your heart maybe put your hands out in front of you maybe in whatever posture you want to be in that is communicating between you and Jesus right now. Jesus, I am here. And I want to hear your words and be transformed and changed by them. So Jesus, we thank you that you are the way and you are the truth and you are the life. Would you lead us and would you guide us today and every day? We want to be a community of people who hear your words, who listen to your words and attach obedience to them. Holy Spirit, you are just so welcome to come and reveal anything within us that is in need of transformation. We choose, we want to choose to build our lives on, on the life that you offer, on the wisdom that you offer, on the rock that you offer. So come and lead us today. Amen. Thanks, everyone. So we're going to dive into Matthew 6. So if you've got your Bible or a phone or however you read it, um, open up to Matthew 6. And we're, um, we're picking up partway through Jesus' teaching. And we're partway through Matthew's chapter. And we're going to start at verses um, 25 to 34 today. But before we do, and this is the only one other bit of participation I'm asking for, what's the first word, somebody? The first word, verse 25. Therefore, or some of you may have, so we're going to, let's, 
assume they mean the same thing. Let's go with therefore. We know what that word means, don't we? We know how that word works. Jesus is indicating that what is coming next is very much linked to what has just been. So we are going to need to just do a little bit of a refresher on what Andy brought to us last week and on the words of Jesus from last time. Um, And so I just want to pull out some particular points that he shared. I want to pull out some particular things that Jesus has said in these verses before that I think are really important for us to take forward as we look at this next portion of scripture. So he is, Jesus has just warned us that we cannot serve both God and money. We can't. Their requirements conflict. We cannot be serving the things of this earth and be serving the things of heaven. To store up treasures on earth is not a neutral act. And Andy talked about this idea that an act of treasuring is an act of worship. And that actually what we worship and what we treasure, we can't help but serve. It's not a neutral thing. And so to serve money, to treasure money, enables it to become a power and a principality that pulls us to itself. It demands something of us. It demands our energy and our time and our allegiance. And of course, we can absolutely have money and resources in abundance. And we can use them to serve God, and we can use them to serve others. But to do this in practice means that we've understood the core of Jesus' message at that point, which is that to store our treasure in heaven is inextricably linked to people, which is what Andy explored brilliantly last week. It's to store treasure in heaven cannot be separated from people. So that's what I want us to take forward with us as we look at these next words which the title, Do Not Be Anxious. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is life not more than food and the body not more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. I was given some advice a while back uh, about teaching in a church setting, so I'm a teacher by profession. But this is not a classroom. This is a different context. And the advice was this. He said, find the burden in what you're speaking about. Find what burdens you. And if you can do that, it's likely that you'll find what God wants to bring transformation, transformation and healing to, both for yourself and for those that you're serving. And I've sought to find that burden every time I've had the privilege of, of serving in this way. And sometimes that burden has been um, easier and quicker to find, and other times it's taken a bit more pondering and a bit more time with the Holy Spirit to be kind of nudged in a particular direction. But today is different because this burden has found me many times over. I've not had to do any finding at all 
to find what burdens me in this. I'll give you an example of what this looks like for me. I mapped out a chunk of this talk um, on Friday the 4th of February uh, between the hours of about 1 a.m. and 2.30 a.m. And again, anyone know who knows me would know that that would never, ever be my preferred time to prepare anything. That's the time to be asleep. Very sensible like that. Yet John's nodding away. I would never do that. But sleep was not coming my way at all. And my mind was whirling. And my mind was filled with the headlines. And the headlines of that Thursday, the 3rd of February, were this. Fuel prices are rising. Petrol prices, are, they're making huge profits. And you're being charged more than you should. Food prices are going up. The national insurance increase is going ahead. The energy price cap rise have been announced and confirmed. So the newspaper headlines were unanimous. There is a crisis in the cost of living. That what was, that's what was filling my mind. And I'm of a generation that has only really known relative economic stability. So certainly in comparison to sort of the post-war generation of my parents. Um, so these past couple of years have really, for the first time in my adult life, have felt pretty uncertain and insecure. And I, I suspect I'm not alone in feeling that way both at a national level and at an international level. And this is before Russia's invasion of Ukraine that we prayed about this afternoon, which obviously puts all of those headlines I was talking about before into a bit of a different context, doesn't it? Like, it's scary, right? I can't be alone in feeling that. But as those he headlines filled my mind in, that, in those first days of February, I felt anxious for tomorrow. I felt anxious for the days after that, and I felt anxious for the months ahead. It, it seeped, this anxiety seeped into every part of my mind and filled it, whilst at the same time making my world become smaller and smaller. Have you felt that way before? Can you relate to what I'm talking about? And really, I was anxious about everything that felt unknown, because the unknown is out of my control. The unknown challenges the security that mine and John's carefully budgeted spreadsheets offer me. And they are very thorough, I will tell you. John is excellent at Excel. But there's no security to be found in those. And all of this anxiety, let me be clear, was not about a current reality. Nothing had changed in mine and John's life between the... Thursday the 3rd of February when I woke up, when I was trying to get to sleep that night and I was in the early hours of the Friday. Nothing had actually changed in terms of our circumstances. That's not where my anxiety was rooted. My anxiety was rooted in a future possibility that could be sourced to one main fear that asked this question. What if we don't have enough? What if we don't have enough? And the Greek word Jesus uses for anxious, or you, you might have worry in your translation, it figuratively means to be pulled apart in different directions or to be divided. To be pulled apart in different directions, to be divided. Have you ever felt anxiety in that way? An anxiety that as we cast our minds to the days, to the weeks, and to the months ahead, it leaves us feeling disorientated and disconnected within ourselves. Have you felt that, I wonder? For me, this fear of lack and this fear of, of not enough, it was a powerful driving force in my life at that moment, stealing my peace, stealing my hope, stealing my rest. And I really like my sleep. It's very important to me that I get my eight hours. So this was 
not a good scenario for me. <laughs> and, and even though this level of anxiety that I'm describing here, it's not my norm, it's not how I live my everyday, that's not where my mind usually is, I can definitely recognize that there is an undercurrent of it most of the time that I just tolerate and I learn to live with and I learn to manage. But if truth be told, at, at that moment, when actually their anxiety was no longer in the background but was very much in the forefront, I was reluctant to even talk to God honestly about how I was feeling in that moment and what was going on in my heart, what was going on in my mind. I didn't want to read these words of Jesus that we've just read. And even I could see, even though I was in this anxious state of mind, I could see that was not going to be a wonderful choice if I wanted to talk on this with any level of integrity. So that isn't where I landed, you'll be pleased to know. But it was a challenge. It's not, it's not, I didn't, I didn't want to be challenged in that way. I wanted my situation fixed. I wanted higher numbers in my bank account so that the numbers felt me, helped me feel more secure. I wanted the quick fix. I didn't want to have to address something far less tangible going on within. So the anxiety rooted in this fear of not enough, it not only stole my peace and my hope and my rest in that moment, but all of a sudden it's now stealing my communion and my union with God as this anxiety actually becomes a barrier because I don't even want to speak to him truthfully anymore. This is how it affects us. I know it's not just me. I know there are some of you sitting here that know how this feels too. Well, I don't know. Chances of probability. I'm acutely aware of the privilege that is weaved into that YNAM thought process. There are many across our world. There are many in our country. There are perhaps some of you sitting here where my anxiety for future possibility is the current reality. And I, I'm not meaning to be insensitive towards the very severe hardships that some in our world are facing. And Jesus' position towards those on the margins of society, those that are in need of provision, those that are vulnerable, could not be clearer. But I don't, I don't think that's what he's addressing at this point in his teaching right now. I've listened to a few different um, Sunday sermons from a whole bunch of different churches on this portion of scripture. And I've heard these words of do not be anxious applied to um, really quite a broad range of different topics and themes. So um, whether it's jobs or relationships or finances or health. Um, but I, f I feel prompted to focus and, and kind of um, look through the lens this, uh, this afternoon of his words a little bit more how I think they're presented to us here of what Jesus is talking about. Because as I ponder these words, I hear him speaking to the condition of our heart in relation to wealth and provision specifically, inviting us to examine the extent to which money or, or really a fear of a lack of it, a fear of, of not enough of it can drive us. Like our, our human desire for stability and, and safety and security is incredibly strong, isn't it? And our capacity to fear anything that threatens that stability has the power to be equally strong. Last week, Andy talked about the fact that if we live from a place of fear, it will result in us longing for and treasuring anything that will fill that vacuum as we spend ourselves on our anxieties. So taking this specific lens, and I know, I know I'm being specific, is our context. What does Jesus offer us then as alternative drivers of our lives rather than having this fear and anxiety drive us? 
So let's, uh, we're going to take a bit of a closer look at his words, and I want to reflect on three alternative driving forces I think he's pointing us to. So being driven by trust, being driven by his kingdom, and being driven by generosity. And that last one might not be immediately obvious from what we've read, but bear with me, we will, we will come to it. So driven by trust, I think Jesus is pointing us to be driven by trust. We're going to sit here just a little bit longer than the other two. And specifically what I mean here is being driven by a trust that is rooted in the character of God. Look at what Jesus says. So verse 26, look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Verse 28, and why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed. He he was not dressed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? We live in a really different cultural setting to Jesus. So the way we conceive of food availability and, and the way we conceive of clothing um, is totally different for the most part, for most of us, I would say. So let's just place Jesus in, in his context. Partner your imagination with, with this picture that I'm describing. So these words are spoken in first century Galilee, heard by people living on their ancestral land of the Israelites, but living under military occupation of the Romans. Tax burdens were insanely heavy as the way that the Romans profited off the conquered people groups. And in that region, agriculture was all around, and so low and inconsistent wages were common. So in that setting, worrying about food and clothing would have have struck a deep chord. And I just wonder, as Jesus spoke, like he, he wasn't speaking in this context, with tiered seating and in a in a school hall. He was outside. So were there actually birds flying overhead through the Galilean hills? Were there actually wildflowers? So this word lily actually is is a broader term that can encompass lots of different wildflowers. Gladioli is one of them, which is one of my favorites. Just a little side note. Um, Like, were there actually flowers growing around them where they sat? Was Was he drawing his listeners' attention to what was actually there around them? Can you picture it, I wonder? Perhaps his illustrations almost seem like a bit, a bit bohemian. <laughs> look at the birds, look at the flowers. Like, is this a carefree Jesus? A careless Jesus? Is he kind of using exaggeration to get his listeners to pay attention? Like, how, how do we receive these words 2,000-ish years later as we hear Jesus Ask us to consider the birds, to ponder on the lilies. Like, what do we do with that? I personally quite like looking at birds. I've got, like, binoculars on my dining room windowsill and everything with the bird feeders out. So that appeals to me. Oh, Andy, you're actually hiding your face. I feel like it's because you're embarrassed for me. But I enjoy that activity. I've got a whole group of... Thank you, Karim. I've got a whole group of people that I text about which birds are in their different day. (laughs) It's normal. And so, but maybe, maybe that doesn't float your boat. Like, what, what do you do with those words? Do, you, do we spend our time, like genuinely, do we spend our time looking at the birds? Do we spend our time noticing what is around us? And what is Jesus doing here? Why is he asking us these questions? I think it's this. I think as we consider and, and ponder on, on the birds and we look at the flowers, 
What we're meant to connect is that they are a sign of an abundant creation and that they are a witness to that abundance. And so Jesus sees this abundant creation as pointing to a creator who not only provides an environment in which creation can flourish, but who actually generously provides and cares for us, for humanity. We are part of that creation too. And this is why I think Jesus equates the inability to worry with a model of trust, where he says, oh, you have little faith. Because there is something of the character of God that is revealed as we ponder on an abundant creation. And as we trust that character and as we put faith in that character, it eases our anxiety for tomorrow and for the days ahead and for the months after that. Because all of a sudden it's not about the numbers on mine and John's spreadsheet. It's about who, who is God? What's he like? And actually he's revealed as we notice what's around us. That's not to say that we shouldn't steward resources and provision wisely. And it's also not ignoring the fact that when humans don't love their neighbor as they, as they should and as, and as Jesus asks us to, it creates a distortion of and an inequality in how creation's abundance is shared. But we, we can see that, can't we? Let's not be naive to that fact. And Jesus isn't ignorant of these things either. And he, he doesn't promise us a life free from trouble. But in this moment of his teaching, he says, he asks us this, like, are we, are you of not more, of not more value than they, than the birds and the flowers? He's inviting us to examine our own view of the Lord. How do we see him? What do we believe about him? What do we believe about the one that we're saying we put our faith in? And perhaps we trust that God is able to provide and that God is generous and that God cares for humanity in a big kind of broad Genesis 1 kind of way. But ask yourselves this, like, do I trust that he is able to provide and be generous and care for me? Do we each know how valuable we are to the Lord? Do you believe and know how much he values you? And I think a thoughtful and an honest answer to these questions will reveal something of the extent to which we're driven by a trust in the goodness and the generosity of God for our own daily lives and our needs and the extent to which we're driven by a belief that it's actually up to us. It's up to us and our skill, our ability, our striving and our work in a way that is removed and disconnected from a generous and caring God. It's up to us to control what goes on. And I think I probably live out a mix of the two most of the time, to be honest with you. And again, I wonder if that's not just me. Second driver, to be driven by the kingdom. So Jesus, I think, is, is pointing us Instead of being driven by fear and anxiety, to be driven by his kingdom. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. And the underlying principles of the Sermon on the Mount come together at this point in one huge challenge. God's kingdom and the life of righteousness that goes with it. These are the things that should drive us. These are the things that we should be motivated by, that we should be setting our heart towards. If we make our own personal safety and security our goal, our mission, our aim, I think what we'll paradoxically find is that it will destroy us and ruin us through anxiety and, and trying to control every outcome. And more than likely, the structure will fall because it's not built on on a, on a secure foundation. It's built on sand. 
Do you remember that's how it all, this section of teaching ends, doesn't it? Are we building on the rock? Are we building on the sand? If we're living by the Sermon on the Mount, we're living in the present as if we're living in this new creation that Jesus promises that is one day coming. We're bringing glimpses of it into the here and now of what it looks like as we're driven by a love for our neighbor, as we're driven by doing to others what we would wish them do to us in a really broad brushstroke. And I know that's not going into any detail about this very well-known uh, verse of, of uh, seeking his kingdom and righteousness, but in a very broad brushstroke, I think, I, think I think that's what it is to seek his kingdom, to follow the ways of Jesus to follow this teaching that he gives us here. And being driven by generosity. This is one that I think um, is, is an overflow of a life that is seeking his kingdom and seeking his righteousness. It's not like a, an either or a separate thing. It is an overflow, but it is one that I wanted to highlight specifically. For someone listening to Jesus speak, like they have a category for why they may not live the carefree existence of a bird or a lily. Um, they recognize that they're not perfect, that their neighbor is not perfect, and that the Romans are not perfect. And as humanity, and gosh, can't we see it right now? Like we have the capability to use both our, our potential and our opportunity to create horrific ways to deprive one another of abundance and store it up for certain individuals, for ourselves, for certain people groups, for certain countries maybe. But the way of the kingdom, the way of Jesus is opposite. Completely opposite to that. We're going to use the Gospel of Luke to just um, compare some of the teaching here. So in Luke chapter 12, we've got a really similar version to this do not be anxious teaching. And it's, it's almost word for word, apart from how it ends. Luke finishes with Jesus saying this, sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The message translation for that whole first section just says this, be generous. It's just two words, be generous. And we can hear the parallel, can't we, with Matthew's section that we looked at last week, that Andy looked at last week. But what I think we find here is this connection that, and an invitation that actually to be followers of his kingdom also means to be driven by radical generosity towards others. An outworking, I think, of what it looks like to build our treasure in heaven as we treasure our neighbors rightly. I came across this perspective from um, a teacher and author called R. Kent Hughes, which I find uh, really helpful and really challenging. He says this, every time I give, I declare that money does not control me. Perpetual generosity is a perpetual de-edification of money. Perpetual generosity is a perpetual de-edification of money. What would it look like right now for someone to look at the way that you live, for someone to look at the way you steward your resources, I'm not saying you do actually need to show anyone all your bank transactions, but just imagine if someone could look in and they see all of the detail, whether you have much or whether you have little or somewhere in between, this has nothing to do with amount. What would it look like for someone to say, why are you doing that? Why are you being so generous? That's astonishing to me that you would choose to do that with your resources and your money. What would it look like? 
Ask yourselves. My experience tells me that generosity has the greatest capacity to transform me when it costs me and when it requires sacrifice. And that's going to look different for each one of us. This is nothing to do with comparison. This is nothing about trying to attain to a particular number. It's about us asking ourselves with the Holy Spirit, what would it look like for me to be someone who is radically generous? And generosity may well look different at different points in our lives as well. In Mark's Gospel, we find that the story of the widow who just put in two small copper coins into the temple offering. And she is placed in stark contrast to the many rich people who put in very large sums. But the one who Jesus identifies as displaying extraordinary generosity are not the rich people, but the widow. Her offering was costly to her, and Jesus knew that. And I find that both comforting in times when mine and John's finances and provision has felt tight, And I find it challenging when they've felt freer. What does it look like for us to be driven by radical generosity? So to pull this together as we close, Jesus places the freedom from the anxiety and the fear of not enough within this teaching of priorities and motivations of what we really value, of how we treat other people. So do we trust in the character of God as revealed in this in a generous and abundant creator? Are we seeking the kingdom and his righteousness? Are we being radically generous with the provision and the resources that we do have? For Jesus, these things things seem to go together. Like you can't escape that. I can't escape that. And it provokes and bothers me far more than I wish it did. I find this an incredibly challenging teaching because actually my 1 a.m. thought process revealed to me oh so clearly that I just want the easy route and the quick fix more often than I would care to admit, and actually doing the deep work within that is actually where the freedom is found, sometimes just doesn't seem quite so appealing because it's harder. (laughs) I can say that's the most nods I've had so far. We can relate to that one. It's hard sometimes, isn't it? But the opportunity I think we have before us today, this is the burden that I felt for today for me, and perhaps for some of you, is that actually as we examine ourselves in this way and as we allow the Holy Spirit to reveal things that drive us, that maybe are in need of transformation, is that actually we get to say yes. Together we get to say yes to the invitation of Jesus and allow our priorities to be reordered by him and receive the freedom that he has for us. I don't want to be someone and I don't want us to be a community of people that have to just live and tolerate this underlying anxiety of not being quite sure about what tomorrow might bring and how we're going to respond to that. I want us to be a people and a community that are confident in the character of God and that we are committed together to being driven for his kingdom and for a life of righteousness, and we are committed together to being radically generous. So before... Band and Co. Come back up. I've got three practices that I um, I want to offer to you if you'd like to have a go this week of, of things that I think we could do that will help cultivate and help move us towards being these kind of people that live free from anxiety around provision. So the first practice to be driven by trust, like 
little bit of a precursor to this one. Like, how do we open ourselves up to a way of seeing the world so that it becomes more in line with how Jesus seems to conceive of the world and how he seems to conceive of its creator? How do we do that? Jesus was raised on the Hebrew scriptures. He was raised on them in a way that I suspect um, you haven't been and I haven't been, or at least very few of us. His understanding of God's character was formed by meditating on scripture. And I know there's the Trinity and all of that, but he was human. He was brought up on the scriptures that spoke of who this creator God was. Psalm 104 is an incredible hymn of praise to the creator, describing who he is and what he's done. So practice one, read that every day this week. Psalm 104. See what jumps out at you. Get a cup of tea, cup of coffee, make some time, and just read and see. Which phrases jump out at different days? What does it reveal to you about what this creator God is like? The second practice, to be driven by his kingdom. Pray the Lord's Prayer every day this week, perhaps after you've read Psalm 104. And as you pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Ask God what that means for you and how you can partner with it. What does that look like for your world? What does that look like for your workplace? What does that look like for your university? What does that look like for your family? What does that look like as you go around the supermarket, wherever you may be? And thirdly, to be driven by generosity. Give something away this week. An amount of money, a possession. Maybe you could sell your possession and give that money away. Who are you going to give it to? One invitation with the Holy Spirit to go on a little adventure of, okay, what do you want me to give away and who shall I give it to? Is it an organization? Is it an individual? Ask him and he'll show you. Okay. Lucy, do you want to come back up? And Andy and Ben, do you want to come up? Um, we, thanks, Austin. <laughs> Will you guys stand with me as well? I want us to be able to respond to this, and Lucy's going to lead us in a time of ministry, but um, would, you, would you stand? And would you do some stretch? I can see Karim stretching away. Becky's rubbing her eyes. And put yourself, do something that is saying, okay, I want to, I want to respond. Holy Spirit, you are welcome to come and search me and know me. And to show me things that maybe I don't know about myself. Let's just take a minute. Let's reflect. Let's still our minds before him. And then Lucy, I'll hand over to you.